I feel like my whole career has been a little bit of a journey into kind of what is new and what is possible. You know, a real highlight for me when I was at MIT as a grad student was working with Lego on the Lego Mindstorms invention kit, a kit that gave you behaviors. So we were embedding computers into plastic Lego blocks. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. First-hand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there, and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, I cannot believe that it is already December, and we have an amazing show for you. I have David Rose, MIT lecturer, metaverse entrepreneur, and author of the new book, Super. But before we get to David, let's talk a little bit about the holidays, because I have clearly been getting into the holiday spirit. In fact, I already just went to my first round of holiday parties, and I have been spending all weekend setting up my holiday decorations, including my Christmas tree and my menorahs and my dreidel out there. And it really made me think, you know what? The holidays are a great time for you to lead with your brand, because your decor, your actions, everything you do should be a reflection of your brand. Now, as I was trimming my tree, it suddenly dawned on me that while one of my brand attributes is all about being Hollywood, my tree is actually styled in Hollywood Regency. It's 12 feet tall. It's lightly dusted. I have all silver bulbs and about 200 white porcelain Jonathan Adler ornaments. And you all know that Jonathan Adler is one of my brand obsessions. And in fact, I have a fabulous menorah that is white with gold leaf on it, and it is in the shape of an amazing peacock. So my decor is all about expressing my brand. But kind of getting beyond things like decor, I want you to think about how you can lead with your brand during the holidays by getting in touch with people. You know what? People always ask me, Jason, how do you keep in touch with people? How do you follow up with people? Well, I say the easiest thing to do is use organic things that are happening, and the holiday season is a spectacular time to do that. So shoot a text to someone, send them an email, or even better yet, do a holiday card that you can put in snail mail because you know what? When that pops into someone's office desk or at their home, that breaks through the clutter. But use this time to reach out and thank people for what 
what they've done. Instead of just sending a generic happy holiday message, maybe say happy holidays and I'm thinking of you and your family. And I wanted to thank you for what you've done for me this year and how something they have done has inspired or helped you. Use this as a time to naturally connect with people in a way that you can stay top of mind. And better yet, for so many of us, we're actually going back to in-person holiday parties and events for work, for networking associations, for your circle of friends. And I want you to think about how you can stand out from the crowd and show gratitude and be on brand. So you know what? In my first round of holiday parties, I thought about how can I bring a unique gift or host gift that really resonates and feels unique. So you know what? This season, I am bringing a beautiful Boudon Bakery sourdough breads in the shape of a candy cane. And for my LGBTQ plus friends that I'll be visiting, I found these amazing LGBTQ plus pride nutcrackers at Target. And it's all about showing up with something unique because of course we can drop off a bottle of wine, but does that say anything unique? Is that memorable? So make sure this holiday you're staying on brand while being generous and connecting with folks. Well, I am super excited about today's guest. It is David Rose, MIT lecturer, author of the new book, Supersight, and Metaverse Entrepreneur. Now, David draws on design culture, psychology, and technology to envision future products and businesses enabled by the metaverse. In his first book, Enchanted Objects, David focused on the Internet of Things. Since then, he founded and sold a healthcare company, a computer vision company, and was the VP of Vision Technology at Warby Parker. He is known for translating complex technologies into delightfully intuitive new products and consulting with businesses on how to thrive during digital disruption. Now, his work has been featured at the New York Museum of Modern Art, covered in the New York Times, Wired, and The Economist, and even parodied on The Colbert Report. His home was featured in a New York Times video, The Internet of Things, about inventions that incorporate magic into everyday objects, like a Google Earth coffee table that responds to gestures, or his Skype cabinetry in his living room, even a doorbell that's reminiscent of Mrs. Weasley's clock that rings when a family member is on the way home. He's even been on The Daily show and gotten Jon Stewart to belly laugh. We'll be back in just a few moments with David Rose. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am super thrilled for today's guest. It is David Rose, MIT lecturer, authorer, and metaverse entrepreneur. David, what's going on? It's going great. I've been deep diving into wind farms and how augmented reality could help boaters today. So it's been a weird day. A, a very weird day. So David, tell me, when you first meet people, how do you introduce yourself and explain who you are and what it is that you do? 
I usually don't try to do that. Like I mm. usually, I usually am more interested in jumping into something that I'm currently passionate about and trying to really have a conversation with something with somebody about, um, like, do you, another project I'm working on right now is about gardening and helping, you know, motivating people to, um, spend more money on, on shade trees and edible gardens. So mm. rather than being like, I'm, this is who I am and this is what I do. It's, I'm more just like interested in, are you a gardener? Like, do you eat out of your own yard? Why, like, why, why or why not? Like, I, I feel like most, if I enter conversations with a kind of design research perspective, it's kind of more interesting for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it sounds like though you actually engage people in, um, you know, questioning and the the things that are inspiring you right now in hopes that you get inspiration from them mutually to to create and design new things. Yeah, I'm sure that's annoying to some people, but it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. It's at least fun for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I learn more. <laughs> and and no, so David, it's interesting that you say like that could be annoying to some some people. One of the things that strikes me about, you know, very distinctive brands or people that have very distinctive brands like yourself is, you know, part of it is that we're not everyone's cup of tea. So how do you handle that when you're working, you know, with clients or leading teams where you're just, you know, who you are isn't the like right mesh for other people. Yeah, I have, I have a friend that teaches a course at the Sloan School at MIT. And one of, he's a behavioral economist. And one of the assignments he gives to students is to try to get three no's this week. Like mm. try to, try to get the students to ask questions that are so bold that they, that people will say no. So they'll mm. go into a restaurant and they'll be like, can I get like a free drink with this dinner? You know, like they'll, they'll ask for things that they expect will come out with like, no, like, of course you can't. And the problem is they keep getting yeses. So, so, um, <laughs> so I, I, so I have this, like, um, when I'm worried about my, you know, kind of how I come across or whether I'm asking for too much or, uh, I think about the conversion rate on most e-com sites mm. and it's really single digits. Like if somebody yeah. comes to your glasses store or, you know, whatever you're doing, like single digit conversion rate. So I feel like if you're not failing, like if you're not getting a no, at least what, a third of the time, 50% of the time, I know you're just kind of not you're not uh, bold enough. You're not asking, you know, yeah. you're, and so, you know, if somebody is, if somebody, if I talk to somebody at a party and they, you know, I kind of come across in a way that doesn't, you know, where we don't resonate with each other or whatever, I feel like, you know, my conversion rate is, uh, might be 50% on good conversations and <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe that's okay. I mean, it really isn't that low, but I, I'm, I'm trying to keep telling myself that, like, I don't have to be everyone's friend. I don't have to, not everyone has to love me. Um, you know, and, and so I should lower my own expectations for that. <laughs> and I love how you've brought it all into your very own conversion rate. Um, David, tell Con me, we've yeah, been I talking meant, I meant, a little. I meant, I meant conversion rate, like a, oh. like an e-com conversion rate. Yes, exactly. You are a metaverse entrepreneur. What the heck is that? 
Well, the metaverse, the version of the metaverse that I am working on is not the Zuckerberg like VR version. It's the how do you take information about the world and anchor it and spatially locate it in the world. So if you're in a boat trying to figure out the safe places to go through a wind farm, if you are uh, uh, in a museum and you're curious about something and you want to learn more, if you're in a park and you want to learn more about the natural world, if you're in a city and you want to see what the future of this particular neighborhood might look like, all of those are, are, are contexts for being able to project virtual data into the real world and kind of see mm. something in, in a new way. So that's, that's the metaverse that I'm building. Well, it sounds super cool. But so so take us back. When you think about your career, what have been some of the, the big breakthroughs? And how did you even get into this space of being an entrepreneur at sort of the intersection of, of technology and the metaverse? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was in undergrad, I majored in physics and fine arts. And I feel like I've always been in this kind of... A, a discipline that doesn't yet have a name. So <laughs> back, you know, back back in the '90s, it was called, you know, multimedia or 3D design. I remember the first job I had out of out of college was um, the University of Wisconsin Medical School wanted a patient education module about how the middle ear and the inner ear worked. And they said, you know, could you use 3D animation tools and model these three, the smallest bones of the body and show like kind of how they oscillate back and forth and deliver sound through the middle ear into the inner ear. And I was like, I don't know exactly how to do that. And I certainly don't know anything about anatomy, but yes, I'm the guy, <laughs> you know, I will like figure out how to use 3D tools. I will figure out how to do animation and you know, I feel like my whole career has been a little bit of a journey into kind of what is new and what is possible. You know, a real highlight for me when I was at MIT as a grad student was working with Lego on the Lego Mindstorms invention kit, a kit that gave you behaviors. So we were embedding computers into plastic Lego blocks so that you could have a sensor, like say you have a you built uh, like a little creature with a long nose. Yeah. So when the, no when the nose is not over the table, it backs up so it doesn't go off the table. You know, mm. so this was a way for people to not only imagine structure, but imagine behaviors and be able to program those behaviors. But still like a brand new thing for Lego. And I worked on Guitar Hero, which is also kind of a brand new type of video game that... Um, won a lot of awards and sold many millions of copies, but, you know, kind of to have a rhythm game that was part instrument, part game, um, but you'd feel the rush of the crowd, you know, yeah. those, that was, that was another highlight. So yeah. I, so I don't know, I was thinking about highlights. Um, I wrote a book called, my first book was called Enchanted Objects, kind of all yeah. about the internet, internet of things. And somehow my publisher, which was Scribner, um, called me and said, how would you like to be on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart tomorrow night? <laughs> wow. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe they had a cancellation. Probably they had a cancellation. Somebody, <laughs> you know, somebody, somebody it doesn't important. matter. It doesn't right. even matter, right? <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, so my wife's like, you need media training today and a suit and a new suit and a haircut and we need to get down to New York. Um, and so that was probably like the most terrifying highlight of my career so far was national television. But I did make Jon Stewart kind of belly laugh because I brought lots of, you know, interconnected pill bottle caps and, you know, other things that I had been working on. Um, so it always helps to have a prop. Yeah, exactly. And now talk to me, you have founded and then sold uh, companies. So how did, how did you get into, especially this healthcare space? Yeah. So, um, my dad's a doctor and has always said, you know, he has no idea if the medications that he prescribes are actually taken by people. Ooh. And I, I was doing a project with Novartis and Novartis was, and this was for hypertension, which is something that many millions of people kind of suffer from in this country. Um, and they were, I was looking at the numbers of how many people were prescribed medications that they didn't take on a daily basis or stopped taking after a couple of months when something like hypertension or diabetes, you like have it for years and years, maybe the rest of your life. And so I kind of identified it as a problem that, you know, many people want to fix. So, you know, if you're a parent and your kid is taking a medication, like you as the parent or, you know, the, the patient really needs to take the med, the insurance yeah. company really wants you to avert having unnecessary hospitalizations and the pharma company wants to sell more meds. So it's like lots of people want to start, kind of solve this problem. So I thought, how could we make kind of use the, the, the emerging availability of of super low-cost wireless chipsets, internet connectivity through cellular networks, um, and kind of redesign medication packaging. So we we made that you know the amber pill vial, which is how everybody gets their their meds in this country. Like three and yeah. a half billion amber pill vials are are distributed in the U.S. Um, how could we make a super low-cost cap for the top of that that would know that you've taken the med? And also has a push to refill button underneath that kind of sends a signal to the pharmacy. And cool. we may we we kind of engineered that. We worked with um, Harvard Center for Connected Health uh, to do a randomized control trial where we could look at the data. And it turns out, like by by nudging people with sound and light and texting them and sending an email to a loved one who cares about them, like all of these feedback loops you can enable. And we could really get people to go from taking their meds about 58% of the time to about 94% of the time. And that was, you know, it was published. And I was, I was really, I was very proud that we could kind of move the needle on something that was so important, you know, especially for transplant or something where you don't want to reject the liver. Yeah. Yeah, and and going from saving lives to I'm looking at your fabulous glasses, and I know I'm sure you're admiring mine. Tell me how you how you started working for Warby Parker. Yeah, so I was brought in to start this new business of online eye testing. So they were already like they're already underway as a company and already selling really fashionable glasses, but there was a big problem if they, you know, they didn't have re a lot of retail footprints at the time when I when I joined, and so. They really wanted to help give people a way to do an eye test from home um, because by law in most states, you have to get an eye test every two years. So if you go online and you fall in love with a pair of glasses and you want, you know, you, you want to order them, it's a big blocking point is if you don't know what your prescription is, 
then you can't get the glasses, you know, and oftentimes yeah. the, the corner optician doesn't want to give up your, your, <laughs> your prescription. So we came up with a, a system where you prop up your phone, you step back a known distance, you cover an eye, you say what you see, and then we send that data to an, opt um, an optometrist, uh, actually ophthalmologist in your state, and then they issue a new prescription. Um, and so, you know, I was really excited about not not only selling more glasses, but also just providing more um, kind of help to the people, you know, really like billions of people in this country who need who need correction, um, and it's hurting their ability to learn, and it's and it's incredibly dangerous to drive without the right prescription. So I was I was excited that that we could kind of build a remote. Uh, solution, super low cost solution to that problem. Yeah. And now speaking of glasses, I'm looking at the cover of your latest book, Super Sight, right? Talk to us about the book and uh, and the background behind it. Sure. Well, I'm, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, augmented reality, the ability to project virtual digital layers over the world will be the next platform for computing. Mm. You know, I think... I think voice interaction has been kind of the the story for the last you know last decade, having Alexa in all of our um, kitchen appliances and and kitchens and every um, you know that has been kind of the the big innovation. And then mobile was before that, and then personal PCs were before that. But I do believe that wearables, not only for your wrist but also for your uh, for your face, are the way that we will prefer to have. Kind of all of the services that are the internet today. Um, so, SuperSight really takes a, a critical look at what are all of those services from just having things labeled in front of you, like other people's names or conversational queuing, to all the way to like it really asks the question: What do we should we be seeing as a society? Like, what's hard to see today? Like, we're all kind yeah. of myopic about seeing you know, the ravages of climate change or future health states if we're a smoker or um, uh, what a future city could look like if it were a lot more walkable and didn't have so many parking spaces all around. Um, and I, so I think the real promise of this technology is to, you know, give people almost like a imagination engine to be able to see the future in a way that's not that vivid today. Yeah. And now I know you really lay out sort of nine points or, or nine themes. Talk talk to me a little bit about how you came up with them and what are some ones that people should really click into? So the book has these kind of nine steps of ways that ways that future vision will help people, not only consumers, but also people who work in business. Yeah. And that's really what I spend a lot of my time doing now is helping companies think through kind of what it how could training be different if you could kind of have hints and uh, instruction kind of in the moment that you need it so rather than having to be trained beforehand you can you can see if you're I was just working with an energy company in Italy last week um, if you could see how to reset uh, power plants um, you know, in the moment, you could see all the steps you need to go through, 
Um, or you could let somebody else look through your eyes, like a remote expert, so you don't make a mistake. So it's a much safer experience, and you're yeah. more likely to get it right. So I think like remote expertise is a big one. Um, kind of guidance and um, and instruction is another use case. Uh, I see the world of games as kind of quickly colliding with the world of work. So yeah, I think computer. So vision say more is about really, that. Yeah. So computer vision is bringing kind of a lot of quantification and feedback and simulation uh, to, you know, to how we work. So, you know, one of, uh, I, I was leading a workshop a couple of weeks ago and um, one of, one of the students was working on this uh, guidance system uh, for hospitals. So if you work in a hospital and you kind of need to know where do you need to be next, or if you're coming into the hospital, like, you know, a, a hospital system like MGH, Mass General Hospital in Boston, is this huge set of buildings and it's complicated to kind of get to where you need to go at the right time. But what if instead of having to kind of follow a map, like what if there was just a character, like either a doctor, a kind of virtual doctor that was just kind of walking in front yeah. of you and getting you ready for what was going to happen? Um, or in children's hospital, what if it was like a, you know, kind of a, like a walking Paddington kind of teddy bear like figure, um, <laughs> you know, that would just, that would, you know, help ease your, that would be fun and like give you a little bit of kind of playful distraction in that moment where you're really worried. Yeah. And so David, tell me when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't, I think I, I think I'm a little bit mercurial in that, like, I'm just, I'm always interested in kind of learning about new fields and diving deep on, you know, new categories. Um, and like, that's one of the things that makes my, you know, my kind of my work life so interesting is, you know, I've been able to consult with Google and Samsung and car companies or P&G about kind of the future of cleaning or <laughs> fragrance or Kimberly Clark on, you know, how can we help moms to, uh, to take care of, uh, very young kids, um, diapers and you know, <laughs> other, all that fun other kind stuff. Of, yeah. All that fun stuff. So I feel like, I feel like diving into new fields kind of quickly being kind of having, having the perspective of a design researcher where you kind of assume nothing and you try to just ask good questions and be a sponge and keep asking why, 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 and kind of make connections prototype things that are in, that you that occur to you quickly don't fall in love with those prototypes kind of let um i love the term sacrificial prototypes cuz it kind of <laughs> says, says you know you should build you should build something and sketch something quickly but don't think of don't think of it as anything precious it's like it's probably it's probably just one of the ideas you kind of have to iterate through on your way to getting to to getting to a good idea. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a good segue, David, because I want to know a little bit about your brand as a leader and entrepreneur. Give me three words that you would use to describe brand David Rose. I believe that I'm highly collaborative, um, mm. hopefully inspirational, and kind of a polyglot or hopefully kind of renaissance thinker in that like I always want to bring adjacent 
inspiration to the table, either from psychology or music or cooking or travel or culture, so that when when I'm working with a team on solving a problem, um, I I think part of what makes it interesting is to say, well, if we could think of this uh, in the in the same way that another industry has solved something, we want to, uh, you know, apply those some same patterns into this other industry. I think there's inspiration that can be taken and kind of design patterns that can be imported from multiple places. Um, and hopefully, because I've been a consultant in lots of contexts, I can kind of bring those adjacent inspiration ideas together. Yeah. So I love this notion of being does it, collaborative. Does it sound like I'm a little crazy? Does it sound <laughs> like I'm a little, like, <laughs> a little too ADD? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that's that's uniquely David Rose, right? Um, and, and And so I, I love this whole notion of this renaissance thinker and bringing inspiration and collaborating with people. And clearly you do that with all of your clients now, but that's been a little bit of your secret sauce to being an entrepreneur and creating all of these uh, sort of what if type of scenarios. Yeah, and I think that the gig economy is kind of putting all of us in this position of of kind of adopting this studio model, like in the same mm. way that studios will assemble an amazing team to all come together to to produce a movie or produce a show, and then the band breaks up like after you're done with the show or after you're done with the product like everyone kind of goes goes their way and hopefully you work again together and you probably do work again together but it may be under a different uh under a different director or yeah on a different on a different project but like that's it just keeps it keeps the world interesting if you can kind of assemble a great team and know that you're only going to be working together for six months or 12 months or, or whatever it is. And hopefully you're going to make something great together that everyone's proud of. Um, and then you're going to all kind of split up and go your separate ways. And we shouldn't, shouldn't think about employment, I think in the same way as, you know, as something that you do for decades and decades, certainly not. Yeah. I mean, this studio model is, is super compelling and interesting. The gig economy is kind of making us think about the collaborations that we have um, as being more ad hoc and more uh, kind of sequential and opportunistic. Interestingly enough, I was uh, working with a cohort earlier today from a big media company and the studio folks were having that whole conversation, right? And some Mm. of it was about, uh, you know, uh, shows or films that they like passed over and became big hits, but but almost being able to to say that's part of the process, right? It's like yeah, we bring yeah. a group together, we we have a viewpoint, we have a thought, we make our our best thing, and then we we don't freak out because we kind of come back together in different types of teams where good stories or good product or good ideas kind of resurface in different ways. Totally, yeah. I think another another change is also. Um, I think more and more we kind of have a portfolio of responsibilities and roles. And I think when I was, you know, teaching at MIT and also had a startup, there were 
sometimes people would say, oh, well, are you a professor or are you a startup CEO? And I was always say like, yes, like I do. I do both <laughs> of those things. And they, they totally feed each other because I can recruit great people out of MIT and I can um, bring ideas from the startup back to, back to students and just be a lot more authentic about, about challenges that are very real world challenges. Um, so I always felt like a foot in each of those world w- was good. But it's something I'm no- I feel like I'm noticing more and more is as I'm work as I'm collaborating with other people, it seems like everybody's working on three things yeah, or more. And so you just, I don't perceive that as somehow like a lack of loyalty, but I really value the experiences that other people are having even earlier in the day that they're bringing to a project. Yeah. And and David, I'm interested to get your sense. You know, so many people work for corporations, right? Or, or, or knowledge workers work for corporations. A lot of folks in the gig economy are in these sort of transactional service elements, certainly not all, but many, right? If we think of like Uber models or or the like, how or what would you say to people that are working for big organizations that kind of feel like these old dinosaurs? How could they bring more of this or infuse more of this type of thinking into the work that they do every day, whether it's to make better products for their company or maybe even just to have better careers that are more satisfying? Well, I think the first way to kind of break up the everyone must be a full-time person on your team yeah. is just to start bringing in some other experts like bring in advi- bring in an advisor who just shows up once a month for a half a day mm. you know who's who's really good at what they do but you know you just you compensate them as a you know as a monthly advisor or bring in somebody who's a half-time person or um i really i i have this uh offering to do office hours um which i do yeah. for a couple of really large companies and basically uh they just reserve like six months of talking a couple of times a month. And mm. it can be kind of whatever is what it could be a product that needs a crit. It could be, um, you know, to some, to talk about the process that they're using to doing prototyping. I'm really into like prototyping with augmented reality because it's oftentimes a lot cheaper than building real stuff. You know, you, you can you can you can see what uh, many things look like in context without having to build them. You know, using AR tools, so digital tools for kind of prototyping. Um, and you know, I think I think it's always like I offer a fresh perspective, and uh, the teams really love kind of having an outsider in to kind of break the debate or or infuse a little bit of energy yeah. into the into the room. Um, So I think that's kind of, that's one of the ways to kind of break up the kind of the full-time company culture. Um, And sometimes you have to sign a lot of NDAs and say you're not going to work with competitors (laughs) and that kind of thing, but you know, that's fine. So uh, David, tell me, um, we've been talking a little bit about your brand as an entrepreneur. What's one of your favorite brands as a consumer? What's a brand out there or something that you can't live without? I really like uh, Hydro. It's Ooh. a um, it's a Boston company, and they make an exercise rowing machine. It's like mm. a Concept Two rowing machine, except they have a little bit of a Peloton like experience, where they have real people that are on the water rowing, like down the Seine or in Alaska with the whales, or so it's a little bit like. Um, 
kind of travel porn uh, and <laughs> exercise like at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find it's like, it's very, it's, it's motivational. It's interesting that they have scheduled events so you can like row with them on the Charles in Boston at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and, or you can re row re against recorded things, but I, I'm just, I'm fascinated with how anytime a technology can really get people to change behavior, you know, whether it's taking your medication or playing with your Legos or guitar hero or learning, a, learning an instrument, like that's really powerful when you can create something that somebody's willing to use not a few times, but month after month. Yeah. And really, you know, and it, and it changes them like transformation, transformations, technologies that actually, or technological experiences that are, you know, not only services, but also experiences or transformations are, I think the ones that you know, I'm willing to pay more for and I kind of want to design stuff that, you know, enters people's lives in a powerful way like that. Yeah, well, I'm, I need to check out this hydro. Now, David, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be and why? I have a friend that just joined Rivian as a design director, and I'm fascinated mm. with these, um, you know, kind of the other electric cars that are coming to market that are yeah. competing that are competing with Tesla, and you know are doing it kind of in a in a different way. Like the like I had a, a Tesla S, and it was very much kind of low, fast sports car, but it didn't seem like it uh, it wasn't the type of car where it it's great on Boston roads where you've like potholes <laughs> every everywhere, and like you just have like mud and, you know, you just have like ice and snow and it's not a good place for like a sports car. Like maybe if I was yeah. in Dallas or something, that would be a good place for like a super like Porsche kind of car. So the Rivian is a, um, it's like they have a pickup truck version and an SUV version, but it's, you know, it's, it's very, it's kind of a utility, utility vehicle, but also electric and um, a lot of great design, design went into it. Yeah, and why are you like that type of car? Well, I I hope that I'm like very like human centered in terms of how I design things and really understand the context of use. So yeah. I'm not just trying to make like beautiful fetish objects that people are like, oh, that's beautiful, but it's terrible in Boston roads. Like I'm, I hope that I'm that I un really understand how you know, what resonates with people, what are their kind of psychological drives and um, how to how to make things that people will love and adopt and continue to use and really understand, like whether it's in the snow or the sleet or the waves or the fog or, you know, however else they're navigating their wind farm. And finally, David, um, uh, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Yeah, I think I've really benefited in my career from like working in fields that are nascent, like not mm. becoming an architect. You know, uh, architect would have been like the natural thing to do with like a yeah. engineering meets design degree. But architecture is so many hundreds of years old, and so and there's so many architecture firms, and I would have been, you know, just at the drafting table for decades of my career rather than being able to be an entrepreneur and do like interactive museum exhibits and modeling the middle ear and um, kind of all of the, <laughs> all of the things that I was able to, 
kind of ch- chain from new thing to new thing. So I, my advice is like work in a field that doesn't quite have a name yet. Like Ooh. pre-verbal kind of fields uh, yeah. barely has a name. And I also, I also feel like I, I grew up in the Midwest and if I had stayed in Madison, Wisconsin, I'm sure I wouldn't have learned at the pace that I was able to learn here. So I feel like if you, if there's a Mecca for your field, whatever that, whatever that place is, like if it's LA or if it's New York or if it's uh, academia or something like, just go to your Mecca. Like don't try to do it remotely. Just like show up on the doorstep, insist that you have to be there. Don't, don't worry about the front door. Like, don't obey the processes of resumes and front doors. Like, just show up. Like, show up with food and start having start having conversations with people. And that's the way that you kind of connect and um, insinuate your way into whatever whatever field you're really passionate about. Well, I love that because there's nothing better than food and conversation. Uh, David Rose, thank you for being a fabulous Renaissance thinker and being on the show. The book is Super Sight. And tell us, where can folks get the book? Uh, they can get it at Amazon or supersight.world is the website where I have a free chapter and design principles and videos of things that I've worked on. So I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks so much for the fun conversation. Thanks, David. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with David Rose. I am mind blown because every time I talk to super smart people like David, it just makes me start thinking. And you know, he had so much great advice out there, but I really go back to his core element that technology is really layered on everything. And that's truly what the metaverse is about. Now, when you think about your brand, at the end of the day, your brand is all about the experience and the relationship that you create with people. But much like David said, your brand now needs to be layered with technology. We live in a technology-enabled world. So I know there's some of you out there that are like, ah, I don't want to be online. I don't want to be on this. But think about how that is just core to amplifying your brand. You've got to be on LinkedIn and other social platforms. You've got to have video and photography of you out there. And you've got to use it to communicate with folks. You have the ability to reach people in a way that we've never been able to reach and connect with people in the past. So my challenge to you this holiday season is to think about how you can leverage and layer technology into your brand. Well, that's our show for you today. If you liked what you heard, make sure you're following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver a brand new show every single Tuesday. Check me out on social media, especially LinkedIn. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And remember, in your career, 
don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are that super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.